Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we are going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. April 14th, 2021 marked the day Quinn Harris's life changed forever. April 14th was his birthday, and in that particular year, the year he turned eight, his parents gave him the only present he had ever specifically asked them for. He had never been greedy or needy, never one to focus on material possessions, but he had begged his parents for his very own metal detector. Neil and Trisha, Quinn's parents, had held a private discussion shortly before the boy's birthday and decided a metal detector, although quite expensive, would be a wonderful way to get their son exploring outside in a day and age in which most kids would rather stay in and most parents would rather allow voices behind screens to do their job for them. After every other present had been opened and Quinn was sitting on the couch forcing a contented and thankful expression despite his searing disappointment, Neil Harris brought out a long box wrapped in green paper, Quinn's favorite color. Not even Ira, Quinn's 15-year-old sister, knew about the metal detector. She thought she had gotten her brother the premier present of the year, a digital watch that read the temperature, showed the moon cycle, and told the date and time all at once. But she nervously watched her father enter the living room with a victorious grin on his normally placid face. She knew her watch was about to be buried by whatever her father held in that box, and she was delighted. Ira loved her little brother and could tell he had been disappointed by his gifts. He had never in his life seemed ungrateful, that day being no exception, but Ira could tell something had been missing and she hoped her dad was about to deliver it. Her hope was not misplaced. Quinn tore through the paper. Before he had even pulled the last bits of wrapping away, he was shouting, Thank you, thank you, and bouncing up and down on the patterned rug in front of the couch. The Digfinder Pro! It's exactly the one I wanted! Who knows what I'm going to find with this? Oh, thank you! Quinn would have gone straight outside to search for ancient treasures lost beneath suburbia, but the Digfinder Pro's rechargeable battery had come out of the box, drained. Sorry, kiddo. We're going to have to plug it in for a while. 
Neil said as he glanced over the user manual. Ira took advantage of the forced delay and showed Quinn how to set up his fancy new watch. By the time the metal detector had charged, the sun was cresting over the horizon and Trisha was putting the final touches on dinner. Quinn had chosen hamburgers, his favorite, for his birthday meal. Quinn downed his burger in a few mad swallows, but Trisha made him wait to eat his cake until everyone had finished. By the time the birthday song had been sung, the candles blown out, and the cake eaten, the sun had traded places with the moon, and the temperature had plummeted. It's dark out there, kiddo, Neil told his crestfallen birthday boy. I don't mind, I can take a lantern, Quinn protested. Yeah, but it's cold now too, Neil said. It was warm enough with a jacket earlier, Quinn argued. Neil smiled ruefully and shook his head. Welcome to Iowa. Might have been warm a few hours ago, but you'll be shivering out there now. You'll get your chance tomorrow, Trisha said. Yeah, I'll go out with you, Ira offered. Quinn said, okay, but he sounded far from it. The sun rose on that beautiful Sunday morning and woke the lightly sleeping, freshly eight-year-old boy. Anticipating a day full of metal detecting, Quinn rose immediately, leaving his room far before anyone else in his family would stir. His brand new dig finder rested against the wall in the living room, still plugged into the charger but now with a little green light where it had once glowed red. Quinn pulled out the plug and let the cord fall to the floor. He stopped only to open the closet and retrieve his winter coat. It was still cold and would probably stay that way for a few hours if Quinn's eight years had taught him anything. Once he bundled himself up and slipped into his tattered tennis shoes, Quinn rushed out the door, dig finder under one arm. No sooner had he stepped off the concrete porch into the dry brown grass than Quinn started to wave the dig finder over the ground. The heavy device had been designed for a grown adult. Quinn was tall for his age, but not quite tall enough. The metal detector's handle stretched almost to the top of his head. Still, Quinn made do. Rather than use the ergonomic grip at the top of the handle, he clutched the middle of the shaft. He was having far too much fun surveying the yard to notice how quickly his cold hands were cramping around the cool metal handle. Nearly 15 minutes went by with nothing but the sound of the magnet brushing the top of the grass. Snot had started to evaporate from the edges of Quinn's nostrils, chapping them and making them glow red and smart. Still, the boy didn't pay any mind to the cold, nor the chilly breeze which only accelerated as the sun arced above him. Quinn finished scanning the front yard and began to lose the battle against disappointment. Of course, it's unlikely to find anything interesting buried in the front yard of a practically brand new house, but try telling that to an eight-year-old boy with an explorer's ambition. In his mind, he had as much chance of digging up an old revolver or the spur of some long-dead cowboy's boot as he did a discarded roofing nail. He accidentally scraped the bottom of the dig finder on the sidewalk and instinctively pulled it back. The sudden jerking motion made him look up for the first time since he had stepped off the porch. He looked across the sidewalk to the patch of grass on the other side and the bushes lining the road there. They stood tall enough to obstruct the view of the Harris's house from the street, which meant they were technically hedges, but Quinn had never heard them called that. They also obstructed Quinn's view of the street from his yard. He had never liked those bushes, or hedges. He sometimes felt the tickle of eyes peering through them. He thought of how easy it would be for some terrible person with sordid motives to spy on him while he played outside. For this reason, 
Quinn usually steered clear of the towering plants and never set foot on the sidewalk unless he was with his parents or Ira. But today, he had his brand new dig finder. The grown-up toy made him feel all grown up too. Something about its sturdy metal build gave him confidence. Without any fear or trepidation, Quinn stepped over the sidewalk on his own for the first time. And he was rewarded. The dig finder finally whined. At first, the sound came out scratchy and wheezy, like a mouse dying of pneumonia. But as Quinn walked closer to the hedges, the wheezy whine became a high, bold ring. It sounded like a heart rate monitor flatlining, but Quinn's heart was racing. The indicator light on the top of the magnet changed from red to orange. He was close. Just a couple more steps. Don't you dare dig in these bushes, boy. Quinn loosed a tiny scream and dropped the dig finder on the grass. The ugly voice had come from the hedges in front of him. He stared into them, searching for whomever had spoken. His hands trembled. He wanted to shove them into his jacket pockets, but he couldn't bring himself to move a single muscle. His already racing heart, so light with excitement and anticipation, now beat heavy and fast to drive as much blood as it could to his legs so he could run. But his brain wouldn't let him move. That's right, dear one. Stay back. Stay away. There ain't nothing for you to find here that's worth finding. The singing dig finder laying in front of Quinn's tennis shoes begged to differ, but he wasn't going to argue. Who, who are you? The terrified voice stammered. Come closer and see if you like. The gnarled voice rasped. And no, thank you, Quinn whispered. The voice in the hedges cackled and for the first time, Quinn could deduce its owner was a woman. She sounded ancient and sick. Such good manners, boy, she said. So why don't you use them? Be a good little boy and stay away from the bushes with your marvelous little toy there, unless you want it to disappear forever. Is that what you want, little boy? Um, excuse me, another female voice entered the conversation from behind Quinn. This one he recognized and it had exactly the opposite effect on his mind and body as the ugly one in the bushes. Ira stood next to her brother, picked up his metal detector, and said, If this thing goes missing, I'm sending the cops straight to your door. Why don't you just come get it yourself, sweetie? The haggard voice asked. And go near your dump of a house? No thanks. Now, my brother has every right to be here, so... Ira told the woman in the bushes to go do something Quinn had never heard of before. The voice cackled again, but quickly went silent, and after a rustle of brittle leaves, the woman was gone. Thanks, Quinn said breathily. Do you know who that was? Yeah, couldn't you see her? Ira replied. Quinn shook his head. As she handed over the dig finder, Ira said, I guess you aren't tall enough to see her face over the bushes. That was Shayna from across the street. She's such a creep. Why didn't she want me looking in the bushes? Quinn asked. She probably just doesn't have anything better to do than boss little kids around. Ira extended her hand. In it, she held a sharp spade, which she handed to Quinn. He thanked her as his face flushed, embarrassed he had not thought that far ahead himself. But who knows, Ira said in a cheesy, ghoulish voice. Maybe this is where she buries her enemies. Quinn smiled broadly, and his sister, whose face was somewhat of a feminine mirror of Quinn's own, reflected his joy back at him. He swung the dig finder toward the bushes, and the orange light turned green. 
I've got something, he shouted. Ira pointed to the spade in his hand. Quinn nodded eagerly and dropped to his knees. He dug into the dry dirt, flinging pebbles and bits of dust in every direction during his clumsy excavation. Ira stopped to turn off the dig finder before its manic whine drove her insane. After less than a minute of digging, the siblings heard a metallic scrape. Quinn gave his sister another joyful grin, then switched to digging with his hands so as not to damage whatever he had discovered. It's a... The boy trailed off as he raised a golden pocket watch from the dirt. Ira's jaw dropped. It's a... Quinn said again, but his face twisted in confusion. Open it up, Ira said, still awestruck. That's going to make the one I gave you yesterday look like a toy. Quinn obeyed. Then his jaw dropped open. It's a clock, he shouted, standing up in excitement. A watch, actually, Ira corrected. It's called a pocket watch. I wonder if it's real. It's not ticking, so probably not, Quinn said. Well, yeah, it probably needs to be wound, but I actually meant the gold. Quinn, if that's real gold, you just found a real-life buried treasure. I did? Yeah, you did. Quinn leapt into the air. When his lighter-than-air feet hit the ground, he lunged forward and threw his arms around his big sister. He clutched the pocket watch in his dirty fist behind her back. He pulled away slightly to look up at Ira and said, I still like the watch you gave me better. Ira was about to respond when someone behind her clamped a dry hand over Quinn's fist. Startled, he let go of the watch and stumbled backward, shrieking with terror as he fell on his rear in the hole he had dug. Ira looked at him, dazed. Then she saw his eyes were focused over her shoulder and turned around just in time to see a bony, gray forearm disappear through the hedges. A withered hand clutching Quinn's buried treasure followed the forearm through the green leaves and vanished. Oh, hell no, Ira shouted. She reached her own arm through the bushes and grabbed the person on the other side. Give that back, she screamed. Suddenly, the look on Ira's face shifted from rage to surprise. She was yanked forward until her whole body was pressed against the prickly hedge. She squeezed her eyes shut to keep them from being scratched or poked out. Her left cheek received a long scratch, and she finally let go or was released. Quinn could not tell which. Ira did not have the golden pocket watch when she fell away from the bush. His sister screamed another word Quinn didn't know as tears of rage filled her now open eyes. She stormed back toward the house, and Quinn, not wanting to be left alone near the bushes, followed her. The siblings went inside, Ira sobbing and Quinn silenced by shock. His little heart could hardly handle the emotional seesaw that had just rocked him. He had been elevated by his incredible discovery of the pocket watch, then dumped back down when it was stolen so shortly after. Ira, what's wrong, honey? Trisha called out from the living room couch. She and Neil were both sitting there, staring into their phones. Trisha didn't even look up when she called to her daughter. As she kicked off her shoes by the door, Ira yelled, We have got to do something about that old hag across the street. Ira, that's no way to talk about the elderly, Neil said. His rectangular glasses slid down his nose slightly, and he didn't bother to push them up. Ira entered the living room to speak to her parents face-to-face, or at least face-to-back-of-hand wrapped around phone. Quinn almost followed her, but after he had set aside his metal detector and sat to take off his shoes, he couldn't bring himself to stand up again. The low place on the floor felt like where he belonged. Ira said, Well, that sweet elderly lady just stole a legit treasure from your son. 
What does that make you want to call her? Neil finally pushed up his glasses but didn't take his eyes off the screen in his hands. I'm sure there was some misunderstanding. Misunderstanding? Really? She ripped it straight out of his hands. I don't think there was a whole lot to misunderstand, Dad. I don't like the tone you're taking, Trisha admonished. Oh my god, you two are worthless. Ira stomped her heel as fresh tears welled in her eyes. Both of the phones in front of her, with their beady camera lens eyes, lowered. Four human eyes now glowered at her. She left the living room, and Quinn saw her return to the entryway with her jaw set in firm determination. Ira, get back here. You can't talk to us that way, Neil said. Even Quinn heard how pathetic his father sounded, and it made him mad too. Why weren't his parents angry? Why was it up to his sister to protect him? Ira was already putting her shoes back on. What are you doing? Quinn whispered to her from the comfort of the lowly floor. I'm going to get it back, Ira said flatly. Please don't. I don't want it that bad. Really? Ira wiped her tears and pierced through his lie with her sharp green eyes. Okay, yeah, I want it back, but I don't want anything bad to happen to you. Oh, please, nothing bad's going to happen to me. She's just a little old lady. Then, loud enough for her parents to hear, she added, Just a little old hag! Before Neil or Trisha could respond, Ira went out to the door and slammed it behind herself. Quinn, are you still over there? Neil asked from the couch. Yeah, Quinn answered weakly. Is your sister telling the truth? Did you find something out there? Yeah, Dad, but that lady... Good for you, kiddo, Neil interrupted, apparently hitting his limit for feigned interest. Quinn opened the front door and stepped onto the porch to watch his sister. She had already gone around the hedges and was now striding down the sidewalk. At first, Quinn didn't know where she was going. Shayna Mare's house was directly across the street from their own. But then Quinn noticed Shayna, the old hag, sitting in a rocking chair under the shadows of her front porch. Her eyes were closed as she rocked back and forth. She held something small in her hands that she stroked gently. It wasn't the watch, he didn't think. He couldn't really tell from so far away but the way she touched it was too loving for an inanimate object. Ira continued down the sidewalk for half a block, then made a sharp turn and trotted across the street. Quinn realized what his sister was doing and suddenly felt afraid for her. He glanced at the old woman in the rocking chair, then back at his sister, and back again. He really wished he could see Shayna better. He wanted to know if her eyes were actually closed, because he felt watched. An idea struck him. His birthday present last year had been a pair of adjustable binoculars. He had used them constantly for weeks, then set them up on his closet shelf and never touched them again. At least he knew where they were. Quinn checked on his sister quickly, saw she was analyzing the tall fence around Shayna Mare's property, and went inside. Ira, is that you? Trisha asked. Just me, Mom, little Quinn replied. His mother said nothing. Quinn ran into his bedroom, threw open his closet door, and kicked the small footstool he kept nearby in front of his hanging clothes. Even on the footstool, he had to stretch his arms to their fullest length to reach the dusty binos up on the shelf. He knocked them down with one hand and caught them in the other. Then he darted back out of the room and out the front door once again. Quinn realized, once he was stationed back on the porch that old Shayna Mare would know something was up if she looked across the street and saw a boy pointing a pair of binoculars directly at her. 
Then he remembered how well the old woman had been able to hide herself behind the bushes. He hadn't known she was there until she spoke to him directly. Quinn ran across the yard, jumped over the sidewalk, and knelt in the grass right next to the hole he had dug to find the pocket watch. He found a good place where two of the hedges parted near their bases and lay down on his stomach, propping himself up on his elbows. First, Quinn checked on his sister. She had scaled the fence and was now quietly trying to lower herself down on the other side. It didn't appear to be going well. Something hidden behind the fence must have been an obstacle. Ira started shimmying along the fence to find an easier way down, and Quinn shifted his focus to the old woman in her rocking chair on the porch. When he swung the binos back in Shayna's direction, he first landed on her hands folded in her lap. She was still stroking a little bird. Quinn recognized the bird, sort of. He knew what an eastern goldfinch looked like because he had learned about the state bird of Iowa in school. This bird looked exactly like one of those, except, from beak to tail, its feathers were black. The black finch's beady black eye seemed to be trained on him. Quinn slowly raised the binoculars until he had Shayna's resting face in view. She was, indeed, closing her eyes while she rocked. She may have even been asleep. Sleeping or not, she didn't seem to have any idea what was going on just a few yards away in her backyard. Ira had just jumped off the fence and disappeared back there. Quinn's heart sank as he realized he wouldn't have any idea what was happening to his sister until she came back over the fence. She had successfully vanished, which was good for her, but stressful for her little brother. He could, however, keep an eye on the old hag, Shayna. He swung the binos toward the old woman again, and this time stopped dead on her canyoned face. Her eyes were suddenly open. Her gray irises, magnified to six times their real size, filled Quinn's view. He held his breath and decreased the magnification just slightly enough to see. She was looking directly at him with a hard, hateful expression that deepened the wrinkles around her thin mouth. The wrinkles writhed like a dozen dying worms until her pale lips were turned up in an insidious smile. The black finch launched out of the old woman's lap and disappeared from the binoculars vignette. Before Quinn could even lower the binoculars, the bird was pecking at his hand mercilessly. While shielding his eyes, Quinn tried to wiggle backward to get away from the bush and rise to his feet. The bird wouldn't let up. Warm blood trickled down the back of Quinn's hand, under his jacket sleeve, down his forearm. The young boy shrieked and screamed until he heard the front door open behind him. What in the world? Neil's ordinarily monotone voice rose to a nearly excited pitch. Quinn rolled away from the bushes, and the black finch shot away from him like a bullet. Neil knelt by his son and examined his bleeding hand. What was that? A bird? Neil asked his whimpering child. Quinn ignored him. He fumbled around in the grass for the binoculars and returned to his knees once he had them in hand. His dad looked on in dazed confusion as Quinn scanned the old woman's property for any sign of his sister. This time, he did so from further back, so he wouldn't be as easy to spot, or so he told himself. Quinn could find no sign of his sister across the street. He hadn't seen her since she dropped off the fence, and she hadn't reappeared anywhere. As if her disappearance weren't stressful enough on its own, the old woman had vanished as well. Her rocking chair continued to roll back and forth on its own as if the witch, 
this was the first time Quinn thought of her as such, had gotten up in a hurry. Quinn, will you tell me what's going on? Where's your sister? Neil asked. Yeah, Dad, where is she? Quinn thought to himself. He had to make a decision about what to say aloud. If he told his father where Ira had gone, she would most certainly be punished. This was, of course, preferable to getting butchered and boiled by the witch, if that's what Shayna Mare really was. However, if Shayna did not catch Ira, Quinn had no doubt their father would make her go back and confess her transgression to the old woman and apologize. Quinn had to give her a chance to get out on her own. It was the only way to keep their father from getting involved in something he didn't care to understand. I don't know, Quinn lied. It was the biggest lie he had ever told his father, and the most consequential lie he would ever tell. I think she just went for a walk. So what are you spying on? Neil asked. Why do you suddenly care? Quinn silently wondered. Birds, he replied. Neil said, Huh. I would have thought you'd be playing with your new toy out here. It cost a lot of money, you know. He stood and brushed nothing off the knees of his jeans. Quinn continued to strain his eyes through the lenses of the binos, hoping to catch a glimpse of his sister. A flash of color in the window, a shimmer of hair, anything that might show him a sign of life. Neil left his son there by the bushes. He had his phone in his hand before he even got inside and didn't look back even once. One major disadvantage to peering through the binoculars is the elimination of peripheral vision. Quinn thought he was doing a good job of scanning the field as he watched for his sister or the witch, but a gentle hand on his shoulder caught him completely off guard. He dropped the binoculars as he twisted away from the hand and shouted, Stay back! Relax, creeper, it's just me. Ira beamed down at him. Swinging from her hand, reflecting the adolescent rays of the sun, was the golden pocket watch. How did you get it back? Quinn asked, astonished. He had never admired his big sister more. Well, look, it's not stealing if you take something that already belongs to you, right? A mirthful grin parted her lips slightly. Ira, you stole from the witch? The w- <laughs> Ira laughed. That's hilarious. I've always thought she could be a witch too. I guess if the shoe fits. What shoe? asked Quinn. Ira rolled her eyes and tossed him the pocket watch. It's an expression. It just means if you and I both think she seems like a witch, maybe she is. Quinn looked nervously over his shoulder in the direction of Shayna's house, and Ira laughed again. Come on, let's go get some breakfast. The mundane Sunday came to an end, and little Quinn prepared for bed as he always did. He brushed his teeth, filled a glass of water to keep by his bed, put on his pajamas, and said goodnight to his parents and sister. To Ira, he gave a big hug and whispered, Thank you. They both knew what for. It was sitting on Quinn's nightstand next to the glass of water. He and Ira had figured out how to wind it, and now it ticked delicately in the dark. Quinn found it soothing. He fell asleep to its rhythm. He awoke to the same rhythm. Tick, tick, tick. Only now it sounded more like tap, tap, tap. The sound was bolder and rounder, and it was not coming from his bedside, but across the room. The tapping kept perfect time with the ticking pocket watch, but it was clearly coming from something else. 
Quinn held the now cold pocket watch by his ear to hear its ticking distinctly and ensure he wasn't fooling himself or still in the murky haze of a dream. No, the tapping most certainly had a unique origin. Quinn slipped out of bed, sliding out of his covers as his feet landed softly on the bedroom's thick carpet. Tap, tap, tap. Quinn rubbed his eyes and looked around as they adjusted. Tap, tap, tap. It was coming from the curtain. Tap, tap, tap. Behind the curtain. Tap, tap, tap. Too tired, too foggy to really feel afraid, Quinn groggily pulled the curtain aside. He only pulled it halfway before being snapped to full alert by a bony finger outside, tap, tap, tapping a thick, long fingernail against the glass. The curtain still blocked her face, but Quinn could see the frizzle of the witch's hair glowing in the moonlight like an aura, an unangelic halo. Don't scream, little boy, Shayna Mare, the old hag from across the street, commanded. Don't cry and don't run. Quinn could not have done any of those things even if he had wanted to. His legs were locked in place, trembling. He could not cry or scream because his throat had become a narrow tube only wide enough to let in enough oxygen to keep him conscious, and even that, only for now. To Quinn, who had never been truly scared for his life before, it felt he had been placed under some black magic curse. "'I won't hurt you,' she said earnestly. "'I only want what's mine.' Her fingernail tapped once more, then remained in place." Shayna slowly dragged it across the crystalline surface of the glass. The curtain buckled. As the witch slid her finger across the glass, the curtain inside followed it, sliding open to reveal Shayna Mare's horrible leathery face. Her uneven yellow teeth appeared luminescent behind the glass as she bit her lower lip and grinned. Her eyes shifted from Quinn to something behind him. He knew what she was looking at without looking back. Put it back where you found it, and I'll return what I've taken from you, little boy. With this final instruction, she raised the bony finger with which she had tapped on the glass to her lips, backed away from the window, and vanished into the moonlight's shadows. Quinn, feeling he had been released from the witch's spell, darted forward and shut the curtain with one swift tug. His breath returned in rapid, uneven bursts. He ran back across the room, dove onto his bed, and yanked his covers over his head. There, in his cocoon, he sobbed. When he had no tears left to cry, he wondered why that horrible woman was doing this to him. Why had she buried that pocket watch in the bushes if she still wanted it so badly? What did it mean to her? One particularly ominous question kept him in sleep-repelling suspense. What had she taken from him? Somehow, some way, Quinn fell asleep. He wasn't aware that sleep had overtaken him until he woke up. Sunlight framed his dark curtain, looking brighter than usual. Quinn panicked, looked at his digital watch, the gift from Ira. It was nearly eight o'clock. Why hadn't his parents woken him up for school? He shimmied into a pair of jeans that lay on his floor pulled a t-shirt off a hanger in his closet without really looking at it, and grabbed the top pair of socks from his dresser drawer. Clothed, he barreled out of his room and into the kitchen where he found his mom, 
also dressed, sipping a cup of coffee at the counter as she scrolled on her phone. Mom, why didn't you wake me up? I'm late for school. Unbothered, Trisha glanced up at him, then back down at her screen. It's spring break, honey. You don't go back to school until next week, she said. Oh. Quinn stood still for a moment while this registered. His heart slowed down, and a feeling like a warm blanket came over him. No school for a whole week. And he had his brand new dig finder to pass the time. He still had the whole backyard to explore. But then the joyful blanket was ripped off his shoulders. There was one thing he had to take care of before he could enjoy anything else. But he didn't want to do it alone. Is Ira up yet? He asked. His mother cursed. She dropped her phone on the counter and set down her coffee. Sorry, honey, now I'm going to be late. You still have to work? Quinn asked. Afraid so. What about dad? He's already gone. Quinn watched his mother scurry through the house, gathering her shoes, her purse, her cardigan, which she had left draped over the chair. She took one last sip of coffee, kissed Quinn on the forehead, and hurried out the door. Quinn was left in the quiet house, alone, besides maybe his sister. He went back toward the bedrooms to check on her. If Ira had remembered spring break, which Quinn was sure she would have, she was probably sleeping in. He hated to wake her up, but he didn't want to delay returning the pocket watch, and he didn't want to go outside by himself. He knew that witch would be watching, waiting. He knocked on Ira's door to see if she was already awake, but she didn't answer. Quinn cracked open the door and peeked inside. His sister's curtains were open, and sunlight lit up her empty bed. Her room was a mess. Even worse than usual, it smelled powerfully of nail polish. Quinn always hated when his sister painted her nails because the burning scent lingered on her for hours after, but never this strong before. Ira, he called into the room, loud enough for her to hear even if she was somewhere else. No answer. Next, he wondered if maybe she had already left too. Maybe she had gone to hang out with some friends. But this early? It wouldn't be like Ira or anyone she usually hung out with to be up before nine. Plus, when Quinn went to check by the front door, Ira's shoes were still there. She had other shoes, of course, but she usually only wore those on special occasions when she dressed up. Quinn didn't know why his sister would have dressed up before 8 a.m. Then, Quinn realized, Ira couldn't have gone anywhere because his mom would not have left him alone if she hadn't thought Ira was home to keep an eye on him. At the same time at which he had this thought, he noticed a bottle of purple nail polish overturned on Ira's vanity. It had spilled all over the surface and down one side. Why she hadn't righted the bottle or cleaned up the mess, Quinn couldn't even guess. He waited and listened for his sister to show up for almost an hour. As the morning crept by, Quinn grew nervous, not for Ira, but about the pocket watch. He worried if he delayed much longer the witch might come back to visit him again. He hated the thought of going out to the bushes alone, but he hated the idea of that hideous old woman coming to the house while he was all alone much more. So, feeling small and weak, Quinn retrieved the pocket watch from his nightstand, slipped into his tennis shoes, and went outside. Shayna Mare was rocking in her chair on her porch again. She smiled wickedly as Quinn stepped out onto his. She bit her lower lip as she had behind the window. Her black finch rested in her cupped hand while she stroked its little feathers with the other. 
Quinn held up the pocket watch to show her his intention. The witch nodded toward the bushes. Quinn found the hole from which he had dug the pocket watch yesterday. The turned dirt had dried and become gray. His spade still lay beside it. He picked up the spade and started digging. At first, the dirt came out easily, but then the tip struck something hard like clay. Quinn thought he must have dug too far since he hadn't unearthed any clay the day before. He pulled the spade from the dirt and saw the tip was a muddy red color. Using his hands, Quinn scooped loose dirt out of the hole. Towards the bottom, his finger brushed something soft and cold. The clay, he thought. He reached in with both hands for one final big scoop before he would drop the pocket watch in and be done with it for good. As he pulled up, he heard something snap like a twig or a brittle root. He looked into the hole. Two fingers. One, the pinky, was now sticking out at a crooked angle. He had broken it, snapped the narrow bone. The flesh between the fingers had been sliced. Blood oozed out of the cut, slow and thick. But that wasn't what horrified Quinn the most. What made him sick were the purple fingernails at the end of both fingers. Quinn stumbled back and vomited. Across the street, the witch cackled. This was her way of returning what she had taken from Quinn. She didn't stop laughing, even as Quinn ran back inside and slammed and locked the door. Shayna Mayer had apparently anticipated that her retaliation against Quinn Harris and his burgling sister would unravel the shroud she had constructed around her evil deeds. Along with Ira's body and the pocket watch, various other evidences of missing men, women, and children from across the state were unburied from the earth below those bushes. Those bushes grown in blood. But evidence is of little use without the culprit, and Shayna Mayer the hag, the witch, vanished before Quinn even called his mom at work. Perhaps Ira Harris was her final victim, one last hurrah to show the world what she was capable of. Or perhaps, more likely, if you ask me, she's feeding the bushes somewhere new. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at thewarningwoods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the warning woods. Thank you for listening. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envision 
vision a docile herd animal, but one team member had another darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.